nobody nobody gets a choice. We're just this is what we're doing. <laughs> so Johnny, you just uh, obviously you're you're in Ireland, and you just I think you said you just booked your flight. I just booked my flight for Davidson, North Carolina. Uh, I'm looking forward to CXOR operations community meeting. Um, I found a direct flight from Dublin. Who would have thought there's a direct flight from Dublin to Charlotte? Like there is. I found. I, I'm not entirely sure. I got a direct flight out of Austin. Yeah, there is. There's just a lot of Irish people in Charlotte. Maybe that's it. Yeah, we just like to get around. That's probably it. You know, when you live in a damp island that's kind of cold and miserable all year round, you will create roots anywhere in the world. Like trust me, you will get the hell out. That that is our survival instinct, Jerry. I think it's great. Oh my gosh! Well, there's a lot of travel coming up. Uh, I think around the corner, right? We've got um, right around the corner. We've got Unleash in a couple of weeks. It feels like it's next week. I keep having a minor panic attack of like, is the, is my room booked? Is my is my stuff ready? Is my panel prepared? Is my you know that that anxiety I haven't had for a conference in three years, maybe? Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it, it will be fun. Mark's Mark does a great job with that. I love the event. It is a great job. Yeah, Unleash is great, and you know it's Vegas. People like going to Vegas, right? Um, and you get good speakers. Like I go for the content as much as the networking uh, when it comes to Unleash. We did Unleash in Paris um, only last October, last fall. I think it was October time. And, and it's brilliant. Like, like there's fantastic speakers. They had Erin uh, Meyer was on stage again. She yep. was back the first time in three or four years talking about her new book that she wrote with uh, Reed Hastings, which was really awesome. They kind of no rules rules. Um, she was a standout kind of, keynote for me um but like it was packed with good content for two days you know yeah. uh, he breaks it up nicely yeah he does. yeah he does he yeah. really does it is probably rapidly becoming my preferred like if i have to rank them right and i'm not i'm not outing anybody as one i wouldn't go to anymore that kind of thing so it's not, it's not a severe who's in who's out ranking but like i would put the work that mark and that team does re really right up there at the top from a content from an experience standpoint, I love the startup work that they do and the show. Jerry, you're helping, I think, this year judge the finalists. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very interesting group as well. It's a, group, it's a very interesting group of judges, too. But um, but other than that, we're good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we, we do have a couple of things we want to talk about. Uh, some work you guys have done. I think, Johnny, you had some new stuff going on over there. So are you guys ready to jump in? Sure. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the CXR channel, our premier podcast for talent acquisition and talent management. Listen in as the CXR community discusses a wide range of topics focused on attracting, engaging, and retaining the best talent. We're glad you're here. Okay, it's good to be back on the air. Uh, we are well. We are recording, uh, but we are streaming as well. We're gonna we're gonna push this out. It goes obviously to all the channels uh, where we typically stream. You'll see this live on uh, LinkedIn, on Twitter, on YouTube. Of course, cxr.works/podcast, where you can listen to this one, obviously, and subscribe so that you can know what's coming up in advance. We've got all the next stuff coming up. I want to remind everybody. Uh, as well that we've got a lot of stuff going on. We're getting back, as you heard, sort of as we were jumping in the line, we've got a lot of stuff coming up up front. So 
Uh, if you'll check out cxr.org slash events, and that is where we are actually sharing uh, activities, uh, events, uh, conferences, that sort of thing, where Jerry and I will be. Uh, and then, of course, where some of our members will be as well. We were talking about Unleash, which is just around a corner. Uh, and of course, we mentioned we've got a CXR uh, meeting coming up for operations where we're going to be a train technologies. And we're pretty excited about that. I'll go ahead and welcome Jerry in from the green room. Mr. Crispin, how are you today? Wonderful. And, you know, I don't know if we have an events, uh, our trip that Barb and I are going on to Israel. We don't. I don't think it's actually on the calendar, the the trip. Yeah, there's a lot going on in Israel. It makes me nervous every time you're trying to go, but that's fine. I'm getting calls from folks going, have you been watching the news lately? You know, and I'm going, you know, there's something going on in that part of the world all the time. It's, yeah, it's fine. You survived Burning Man three times. You, you, you can yes. make it in and out of Tel Aviv. I fine. think I can do it. You'll be fine. Well, let's welcome in our guest today. Back to the show, Mr. Campbell. How are you? Gentlemen, good to be here. Uh, you know, it's funny, Jerry, you talk about Tel Aviv. I remember I was over there a few years ago with our friend Kev Blair when he was heading up Cisco's TA team. And I was nervous. I was like, oh, gosh, Tel Aviv going into Israel. What's going to be like? And I came back I just joyously sharing my wife about this new Mediterranean resort I discovered. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, oh, it's like not like that at all. It's 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 really beautiful, gorgeous restaurants, great people. You're on the med, it's fantastic. The weather's great, everyone's hospitable until you go to the airport to go home, of course. Um, but you know, I just thought it was fabulous. And uh, it reminded me when I was a kid growing up in Ireland, and people would talk about, oh, like, you know, what's it like there? And like, what do you mean? It's like, well, with the bombs and stuff. We're like, oh no, 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 that's like that's that's over there in that part. And it's just it's like that happens. Like, what's what's the problem? Around the corner. Yeah, it's like that's like an, an hour away. What are you talking about? You know, it's like you're reminding but, me, Johnny, of the um, I know it was Scotsman, but you're reminding me of the the routine that Robin Williams did when you're like, Oh no, it's way over there. It's like, oh I'm gonna put a little flog to give him hope. <laughs> like, oh no, no. Oh yeah, slag the Irishman with the Scottish accent. Come uh, on, yeah, yeah. Guys, let's show here. I got a leprechaun costume there. You want to put on, Chris? <laughs> so, for those maybe Johnny who don't know you, uh, why don't you give us sort of an escalator pitch? Like, give us a quick rundown on who you are and, and why we should be interested in what you have to say today. And I want to know why it's an escalator, not an elevator pitch. But um, so, uh, who am I? Former recruiter, uh, father of four boys, wife to Jill. Uh, live in Ireland, used to work in the Caribbean in recruiting, set up a recruiting staffing agency 15 years ago, pivoted that into a training business, which became Social Talent, which became the world's largest online platform for talent uh, uh, skills. And that's what we do today. We work with big organizations around the world and small ones to teach their teams how to hire talent, how to lead talent, how to engage talent. And we've got hundreds of hours of courses and content that we push out every week. And um, we educate the world on what the future of talent looks like. I, I will say, hands down, uh, we have two solutions providers that our members consistently talk just glowingly about. And Johnny, the social talent crew and the work that you guys do within that learning platform is, is one of them. Like consistently, we've never heard a disparaging word I mean, it has always come back uh, that, oh, my gosh, we use that. We love it. We've seen Jerry's content in there. John Vlastalika has got some content. Like, we just love what's going on in there. And I think you guys are just crushing it. Thank you. And, and it's the people in the platform, right? I used to be a presenter. I'm not a presenter anymore in the platform. 
because there's better people than me out there um, who do better work teaching on a wider range of topics. So yeah, it's a uh, it's exciting. There's about 100 people who deliver content on the platform today, and they're brilliant. And I watch my social time training every week. I I was doing training on how to be a better leader. Um, only at lunchtime, my time this afternoon, I, I got my 30 minutes training in. So it's nice to actually be a user of the platform because it's not looking at me. Uh, it's new people who have a new idea to teach me stuff. It, it's great. It's a pleasure. Oh, that's fun. I love that. I got to ask, I saw Jerry's face. So I'm, Jerry, I'm mind reading. So you tell me if I'm off. <laughs> ha, has there been any thought uh, around the impact or speculation around the impact to all of this chat GPT and BARD technology for your platform specifically? I mean, I trust you're not going to launch anything that says now with chat GPT baked in, but, but there's got to be some sort of even ancillary, some sort of impact or, or disruptor aspect to that. Yeah. So it's funny. I, I kind of go back seven or eight years when someone in our engineering team said, we need to find a use for AI. And I was like, what? <laughs> Everyone has it. We need to put it on a website to find a use for it. Put AI into the, into the box. And I was like, okay, let's go find a use for it. And I, what I learned then is what I still apply today. Is you don't go find a use for ChatGPT. And, and, and people have said this to me. We need to we need to put it in our system today. It's like, you've got to find problems that your customers have, and you've got to find solutions. And if this happens to be a really good solution to a genuine problem, go for it. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Don't go trying to find a problem for this solution it's just the wrong way around so i think it will change learning right um i think hr is one of the areas that's going to be changed the, the first with this technology right there's a load of admin that i think sort of take off us um, in learning one of the areas that's been touted as being the kind of future is that we don't need presenters anymore right because you can connect it all up and you can have, well, you need a presenter for 60 seconds. So we just captured Jerry for 60 seconds saying a few words and then we can make any course in the world with Jerry, right? Yeah. And you know what? I think you're going to see half the world's training in three years will look like that, right? But you could do that with a movie. I don't think you're going to see half the movies in the cinema, in the theaters like that. You're going to see really high quality people. In fact, you're going to see, I think, a bigger difference in quality because at the moment, a lot of the stuff that people do and actors and, and professionals are paid to do in training is crap. And it would be just as good having AI do it, right? Or yeah. ChatGPT produce it. So what it means is that if all that average crap gets replaced by automated people, which I think it will, it means the stuff that's not automated needs to be that much better. So to yeah. me, that's what excites me. It's like, this means that the, the, the premium stuff has got to be so good. That's when I look at it, I go, ah, I need to make sure that we are at the very, very best. Because if you're not using an automated speaker, she or he or they need to be fantastic. So I, I just had a really similar discussion with somebody the other day where I, I would agree with you completely. I think it's not AI versus people. It's people versus people. And it, it's with like some people are going to elevate their game and, and others are just going to get lazy. And, and are going to find it find it to be more of a challenge. You know what I thought of when when you were talking, uh, Johnny, is I have a cousin who's a, a real quality musician. But a, f a couple of years ago, he bought a product so that when he speaks into the microphone, it adjusts his tone quality of voice. Like auto tune. To to. Um, different kind of modalities that just improve what he can offer. So he can, he can fake Elvis Presley a little bit differently than he would have uh, had he played an Elvis Presley tune prior to that. 
And I'm I'm thinking, and so when you were talking about that improvement in quality, yeah, it you have to have the knowledge and the skill to begin with. But once you you are applying those tools, you you can you know up, kind of upskill the 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 whole approach I, in terms of the result. I, that's interesting. I love that knowledge, right? Could you, could you imagine Leonard Cohen using? Auto chip, right? If you're still around with us today, right? They just, just know because it's the distinctiveness that makes makes him fantastic, right? I remember I was watching Edge from U2. Uh, the Edge was talking about technology and its usage, right? And he was saying how he basically every day he'd have a new guitar riff, and he records it and samples yeah. it, puts it into his laptop, and then he goes back to this vast database of samples and he puts them together. And, and a tune would come out of that. And then he'd play it straight through in, in real time and record that. And you see how someone gets augmented with technology rather than trying to remember all the tunes back in the 80s, 90s after remembers tunes. What was that tune I wrote in the hotel room 16 weeks ago? He could just go to his laptop and there it is, that you know three-second riff or whatever. So I think it's the augmentation and how you then become better because you're you're outsourcing things like memory to a technology. Yeah, but here, here's what I would like if if somebody is covering Leonard Cohen, if somebody is covering uh, someone else because they have the tools to say I do it this way, mm -hmm. then Leonard should get a, a penny or two uh, for the use of his, of of covering with him, if you yeah. will. Um, and that could, that could change the game from, uh, from an income point of view for some of those folks too. Well, I just watched, uh, Ben Affleck's air movie last night. Um, oh, good. it's awesome. Right. Really loved it. But I hadn't realized how, to your point, Jerry, that that contract that Nike signed with Michael Jordan was the first that gave uh, the athletes, the, uh, a cut of the revenue and it begun and Sonny, the guy that Matt Damon portrays became somebody who was highly influential in in facilitating and won a massive uh, court, uh, Supreme Court uh, case in the US that allowed uh, uh, college kids to, uh, to to get access to income and created billions of dollars of wealth wealth for the athletes that they never would have had, that the corporates would have maintained. So you look at that kind of redistribution, that's a lot of folks, they talk about Web 3.0, what is Web 3.0? A lot of it's about where the money moves. You know, Web 2.0, it all went to the social networks. And it's saying Web 3.0 is more about it's going to the creators. It's following that trend. Sports in the 80s and 90s, the internet now in the 20s and 30s, maybe it's just about just where the wealth goes. Yeah, it, it, there's an interesting... So when you started talking about uh, the, the GPT, when you started responding to that question, John, you said something that sort of struck a nerve with me, and that was go find a way to use this. And we had a discussion the other day with a few leaders who were talking about technology and wanting to jump on technology before they've even got a challenge for it. Or, or leaders who shop for tech that's supposed to answer challenges or problems they don't even know that they have yet. So it's, it is kind of an interesting, shine, like chasing that shiny bobble challenge that, that spans across all the industries. But I think, I think to your point, like there are opportunities that will present themselves the more we sort of adopt or the more that we use right. this. Yeah, I remember a, a TA leader, I won't name him, um, that I respect massively. He got a great job working for a kind of moonshot arm of a big uh, telco. And he was telling me about his job about four or five years ago when he joined. And he's saying that, you know, they got promoted and bonused on the amount of experiments they ran. 
and not the amount of outcomes or successes. It was like, you know, it wasn't, didn't, didn't matter if you had, you know, 20 failures. It was like you tried 20 times. So that was the main thing. They just, yeah. they did these, and they were really proud of this, as were all the X and moonshot arms of most of the tech companies were all about this. And you kind of look back now, right? They've all been shut down. Right? That approach is done for 2023. It's not, <clears throat> it doesn't work. And it reminded me, I listened to a podcast uh, about, um, a founder of, of a business was talking about in the early, in 1998 or, and, and into the early noughties when he founded his business, it was all about views. You know, it, the, the, the dot-com bubble that we all went through in 20, uh, in 2000, right? Um, that was all about views. So all the different pages, were like is, there was no no revenue, right? It was just views. You were worth it if you had views, right? And he, he sold his business for 200 million and they had at that time got $35,000 of revenue in total ever. Right. But they had views and they sold it for 200 million. Right. And um, this was back in 1999. And we went from like views to, you know, fast like three, four years ago. It was all about revenue growth. Right. Multiples of revenues by who got the biggest sure. revenue. growth, And then we finally arrived at profit. <laughs> it's like we've gone from in 25 years, we've gone from views being the big thing to no revenue is the big thing to finally. No, actually, it's profit. And I look at those kind of things when you talk about tech, it's like, oh, it's about using tech, it's about using AI. It all eventually gets to what's the fucking purpose, right? What's the purpose? Sorry for cursing. You know, what's the purpose of all these companies? Views have to convert to revenue, which has to convert to profit. Tech has to convert to solving a problem that actually somebody has that's worth solving. Yeah. And using it for the sake of it, I, just, I never subscribe to that. Never subscribe to it. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me, <clears throat> it's two things. It reminds me of a conversation that we were part of where we had, we had a vendor that was talking to a TA leader and just continuing to sort of talk about what they offered and how they could help. And the TA leader said, yeah, but I don't have those problems. Like, I love your product, but those, those aren't my problems. Those, are, those might be her problems or his problems, but those aren't mine. So this doesn't really work for me. Uh, I, I, I still talk, like, don't get me wrong. You might have come across a social talent salesperson who made this mistake, right? I, I talked to some of our to our team about, you know, you're, like you're a pharmacy and you're going in, and going, hey Jerry, so we've got, you know, we got stuff to solve the headaches, we've got some stuff for, you know, um, for infections, for, you know, for 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 bruises. And you're kind of going, uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. I have none of these things, you know, and and a doctor doesn't do that. A doctor will, a physician will say. How are you feeling? What's wrong? And then you'll eventually get to the one thing that they sell that you need. That's critical because that's the thing you know you've pain in. And and discovery is really really important. In this, um, but but I think you know when it, I used to I used to meet folks in our space, uh, technology vendors, and they'd have solutions. Like you remember, there was loads of stuff going on the in the early tens um, that were around discovery of candidates and social media and, and yeah. so on. And a lot of the tools are built by software engineers, no disrespect to them, who never worked in our industry, who never worked as a practitioner, mm -hmm. and who never worked with us. They just knew how to build code. You're like, I can build the best you know, marketplace for whatever. You're like, great, but do you have any talents there? No. Do you have any buyers there? No. What the hell is the point? And do you know the pain? And, and I think the best solutions come from pain. Someone who's experienced, like when we when we set up social talent, right? Um, I started teaching people how to use social media, not because I wanted to make money, because I was a recruiter who was trying to get a fee in the world's worst recession we'd ever seen. So I was like, does this work to get me candidates better than everything yeah. else? And only because I found a way to make it work and then taught people that did it work. I wasn't just trying to 
you know, find something to flog. It was like, I had a real pain. I need talent for weird roles around the world because only weird roles got you a fee back in 08, 09. And therefore, these new tools helped me do that. And people went, oh, show me how to do that, right? So from real genuine pain, you actually develop great solutions. So you got to marry that pain to the solution. Is pa well, so pain is the mother of solutions. Like the necessity <laughs> is the mother of, yeah. It's, I like that. So, so outside of uh, us predicting the future, uh, you're going to love this segue. This is what 360 episodes gets you, these masterclass segues. Outside of trying to predict the future, uh, we've done a little bit of work on the past. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, Jerry, you were one of the editors for this huge project. This was a huge project. This was months of work. This is countless hours of research. So I want to let you sort of set the stage for what is the what is the history of recruiting? Well, you know, uh, it it really I have to give uh, credit to Adela uh, Schoolerman because she was the one who called me and said, look, I, I'm, I've been a recruiter now for X number of years. I love what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I keep asking myself, where did we come from? <laughs> and, and, and that sparked a whole host of things. And she had been looking at some of the work that Jim Stroud had done mm -hmm. and a few others in trying to put pieces of this together. And uh, together I'm looking at it and going, you know, I'm old enough that I've, I've lived through most of the history of recruiting myself. So, so <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised when we look at it. And then we we basically made a very critical decision, which is to start really around 1900, which which is approximately the second industrial revolution, because that when, was when there was significant movement uh, towards larger scaling um, how we work uh, together and. In addition to that, there was um, an, an intense focus on management in that in that early stage. So it was primitive, but still, you're looking at how do we how do we orchestrate, how do we organize? You know, what is industrial organizational approaches to how we do these things? And recruiting is a piece of that. Before that, it was pretty ugly how we hired, and um, I didn't want to get into all of the issues about how we. Um, sold our children <laughs> to to mines, uh, you know, so that uh, that we could make a make a little bit of a living. So I, I think I wanted to start really at a point in which we were really starting to become a modern approach to technology. And so we've got about 250, 300 little milestones and each one should be a story. And so what I challenged the uh, 40 or 50 contributing authors was to tell me a bit of that story. If you experienced it personally, I'll, I'll accept what you state. But if you didn't accept it personally, I want to see some linkages to legitimate support no. for what that milestone's about. And I got to great response from, you know, uh, I guess it was about 46 that we, we had. I've, and, and since we announced, by the way, I've had three or four give me some additional ones. So, yeah. so over, over the weekends, uh, I'm going to spend a little time adding those to the, uh, to the history. Cause I want to see this 
as something that continues to grow because um, there's some big flaws in it. You know, we don't have enough from Europe, for example. I don't know where Ireland starts with all of this. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, I'm almost afraid of what they might have been selling or doing and recruiting in 1900. But that's another issue. Um, but, you know, we, we could we should be adding this from a global point of view. And I'd love to be able to be able to filter by by country or by region or those kinds of things. So people could look at it. Yeah. And my last point, because I think this is I'm, I'm very passionate about this subject. I believe when you start uh, immersing yourself in the body of knowledge of where we come from, you realize that the story is about our ability to expand the pools of talent to become more diverse and inclusive. That, that fundamentally on a global basis, we have restricted work um, over centuries, if you will, uh, to, to a much more privileged group. And that the, the real story about recruiting is how we've opened up, if you will, our ability to hire everyone uh, based on their ability and skill, knowledge, and experience to do the work. We still are on that journey, uh, clearly. Uh, it's not an easy one to get over. But the fact of the matter is uh, that, that it really pops out when you start looking at a lot of these milestones. Yeah, I'll throw, I'll throw this in too, for those who are listening and not watching. Uh, the, the URL is easy to get to it. It's, it's www.cxr.foundation, that is a domain, cxr.foundation slash history. Uh, it, it's pretty straightforward. Johnny, you were also part uh, of contributing to, to some of the content here, yeah? Yeah, it's a great fun going back through my laptop, my old files to find out the different images and I'm trying to remember some of the different tech. Uh, now I only got back maybe 20 years and then there's some just references that um, I'd use in presentations uh, before that I, 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 I flung to Jerry that maybe a little bit older than that. But yeah, it's, I think it's really important to understand the history of something because there's a huge amount of learning, right? We tend to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. Um, and you don't need to, if you just understand the history, you can understand the mistake that someone else made before you, probably several generations ago, several times over and over again. And you see cycles of human patterns and behaviors, right? And we're in the business of people. So to understand the behavior over even a small period, like 120 years, it's a small period, right? Um, it's important to understand a lot of the basic principles, like, you know, the obvious things on the history of recruiting we see are, you know, the earliest job advertisements. They fundamentally look the same as they do today. They appeal to the same emotive purpose statements that people are trying to train people on in 2023. You know, we're still doing it because it still works, right? Because we haven't changed that much as humans. Just love me. Just work here. I mean, that's 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 the whole that's they, the whole spirit. They actually called in the 19 up to the 1940s. They called the the job ads in newspapers tombstones. Just so you know, it's. Wow. Why I don't know, but they look like tombstones because they had they they were just um, uh, text with no no embellishment whatsoever. It wasn't until the 1950s that they started examining ways to use different fonts, different kinds of approaches, um, and and kind of kind of marketing those those job ads. Um, 
but you know, and that that lasted up until the obviously late nineties, until the internet took over. Yeah, it's funny. I remember like the earliest internet ads. You know, we just took the 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 lineage ads we put in the newspapers, sure. and we just sort of put them on the internet. We, you yep. know, yep. And, and you you don't. Someone takes a long time to change your habit. You move it to a new medium, the, the technologically more innovative medium, but you don't change fundamentally what you're doing. Right. And then you get something like, 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 listen, the pandemic, you mentioned, Jerry, the kind of fundamental shift we've gone through in the last few years, right? We kind of, we, we had the internet, we had everything else, but we still went to offices and worked nine to five, which was a factory oriented construct that was over a hundred years old. But we just kind of copied it because it's what we knew. We applied it to teleworking. Um, and then it took this shock to go, hang on a second. You don't need to do that at all. It's fundamentally different. And we accelerated 50 years. You know, I heard a podcast this morning said that the trajectory would have been 50 more years to get to where we are today um, in terms of that that innovation to get to most companies do two and a half days of work uh, a week, um, hybrid working on average. And that's 35 percent of all jobs in the U.S. today. Um, that's it's such a huge fundamental shift from where it was. Um, but, you know, that whole idea, you don't have to be there. You don't have to be there at the same time and you can work on different things. We got this acceleration. And to your point, Jerry, it it does open up opportunity. Like when I was when I was starting this business, my big hope, silly as it was, was that I wanted a world where anyone could work and compete for any job anywhere in the world, uh, which obviously is impossible because, or was impossible because you can't get work permits, you don't have to write. So, you know, to me, from a privileged economy like Ireland as it is today, you know, why shouldn't someone from a, a, a an economy that earns less in a very distant place compete for the same job as me? It would mean I'd probably earn less but they'd earn more and it would be more equal. Um, but, you know, politics and economics don't allow for that until the pandemic, when now a company can just open up, and, you know, I, I, I love the example. I've used it so many times, a freshie. It was reported about a year ago in Canada when they started using call centers in South America and Southeast Asia to basically um, serve people in stores, freshie stores in Quebec and Montreal um, from call centers. And you end up to the counter to order your salad and I was someone in a call center. That's distributing the job around the world and giving equality to so and people are going to oh, it's outsourcing quality Canadian jobs. It was fifteen bucks an hour. They couldn't hire anyone in Canada for the goddamn job. And then you get somebody who can get a, what's considered a premium call center job somewhere else. You know, not, not not a farming job can now earn you know what is in their country great money. That is actually the equalization. You know, uh, to, to your point, Jerry, it's it's more equitable. Uh, so so I'm a little bit more radical than that. I do believe it's not equalization because what is a great price in another country still might be much much less than the value of that work and i think that there is a baseline that says the value of this work is x there may be cost of living differences between different countries or different regions but fundamentally there is a baseline that says this wherever this is um, we should be paying at least this. And, and the, the test is if I'm making $15 an hour doing something that can be remote and I happen to live in New York and I decide I want to move to India, but I still can do that job, should I still get $15 an hour if that's the value of that job? And the point is, 
you should not necessarily be then paying me $15 an hour from India and then paying somebody in India less than that. If in fact, that's the value. That's my argument. But, but I, I know that right now, most companies, they look for how do I increase the margin, profit margin, by moving these jobs to different places. But then who gets who gets the money at the end? It's the gal or guy at the top of the ladder whose bonus now increases to millions of dollars. So I'm I'm a little bit more radical in terms of where I think it should go. Um, but I think it's going to take a few more years to get. I, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think you're spot on, Jerry. But I think and I would I'd align with that. But what what I think a lot of us have come to realize in the last few years is the nuances of of making that work. Right. The, I, the, I mean, they're, they're, it's complicated, but it it's is. complicated. It shouldn't be the excuse not to do it. It's just it, it's it's more work than just saying, OK, but Johnny, a, a better a, not a better, but a, a a thing that's going as fast as that is pay transparency, for example. Mm -hmm. So so fundamentally, while um, what I'm saying might be a little bit more radical, the point of of where we're going is radical enough in terms of pay transparency with the Europeans uh, pay transparency directive almost ready. Um, I see it just going to a new level in terms of how employers are going to have to explain to their employees and to the candidates uh, what it is they're doing in relation to compensation. And, and we're going to have to upskill on every level, the recruiter, the hiring manager, even the candidates, in terms of better understanding how this works together and how what I'm getting paid is fair. And that's that's I think a powerful uh, movement that's that's been in the works now for a, almost a decade, but I think has accelerated through the pandemic, um, and 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 I just think is going to make be a game changer for all of us. It, I I don't think real traction starts on that though until there are some lawsuits, I, like until companies get fined. Because well, like we have we have laws that have passed in in the states about pay transparency, and we have a that still the majority of jobs posted in those states don't include the pay, or those that do often have this radical four hundred thousand dollar plus ban. Well, of the forty nine states that have pay equality, you know, uh, laws, and the many that now have, I think about twenty one have pay transparency laws. Uh, very few of them. Uh, have a cost to doing it badly, but so far. But, but <laughs> now, now you're starting to see that. Certainly, Europe is ahead of us in relation to that. Oh. But now, with what um, New York and especially California have done, is they they put some some uh, expenses that employers are going to find themselves having to pay if they if they fail to comply. Well, sure. I just until somebody gets, you know, punched in the stomach, I, I, I just don't I don't see it getting any real the traction that it deserves. I hear you. I agree. Yeah, I see it like in, in, in Europe, right? Hiring. I hire in Europe and we pay the same salary regardless of where you are. Um, and we've got folks who've moved out of Ireland. We hire in different countries using EORs, but we, we pay the net same amount. So obviously there's different tax, you know, the taxation differences on an employer 
in somewhere like Spain and Portugal is about 30% different to Ireland. So, you know, we got to take that out of the, the total amount. So, you know, the person in those countries gets paid about 30% le less into their hands before they pay their personal tax because the company has to assume that. So those kind of equalization things have to happen, right? It's like, yep. you know, and, and people forget that stuff. It's the kind of nitty gritty and then there's benefits. You know, if you're in the Nordics, you're going to, to pay more vacation time, more leave, you're going to, to build that into the cost base. So, so these things, yeah. you know, Comp and Ben's folks have never been in such demand to make sure this all works. But the principle you, you speak of, Jerry, is so right. It's like, this is what we pay for someone to deliver this work, and that's it. Now, if you're in a very distant country and we want you to get with your team once a quarter, we're going to build in the flight costs. And again, these things get added up and someone locally wouldn't have to pay those costs. But like someone in Calcutta shouldn't earn so little and someone in the Bay Area shouldn't earn so much. And that is just the reality of the world. But, you know, you know, if you want to live and pay crazy rents, you know, I saw a, tw a, a tweet um, during the week. It was a, a staff engineer from Meta who'd been laid off and was complaining that he couldn't afford his rent. Um, he'd bought a home for $1.5 million and his, his mortgage was $8,300 a month. And it's like, I was like, what the heck? Eight Get a zero down. Like <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, no sympathy. But then folks were kind of chiming in on where he lives in 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 um in Seattle. That might be a two bed. It might not even be a three bed because the property is so expensive. So like, you know, he would have bought, I assume, you know, bought that house and got that mortgage naively, perhaps to a junior in his role, but he would have thought, you know. Staff engineers don't get laid off, right? In companies like Meta, you're all good. And hey, that's yet to live near the office, so therefore that's what it costs, you know. But you could you could get somewhere for a couple hundred bucks. I was in Lisbon last week, right? And you can get a gorgeous two bed apartment overlooking the water in Lisbon for about a thousand bucks, twelve hundred bucks a month, you know. But you're gonna earn, you know, you're gonna the, the national um, average wage is seven hundred euros a month. So, you know, yeah, I think it's gonna hopefully help equality. I'm one of many measures to try and get us there, Jerry. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Well, look, uh, Johnny, we do this as, as we wrap up all of these, we ask all of our guests to give us the title of a book. Uh, if they were going to write a book right now about the state of things uh, or even just their headspace. So if you will put you on the spot and ask you as well, you, you know, exception to the, to the question. So if you're going to write a book today, what, what do you title it? Oh, you are putting me on the spot there, aren't you? Um, I'll start with the, the title of a book that I read recently that I love. I'm going to twist it for my version. And that's a book called This is How They Tell Me the World Ends. Um, and it was written about two, three years ago uh, in advance of the Ukraine invasion um, about the cyber issues with Russia and China and where, where it was going and particularly focused on Ukraine and how the world, how the US, the China and, and Russia are fighting this cyber war and, and, and we just don't even see it and how it's been going on for quite some time and, and it's the next theater of war and we then saw that materialize in Ukraine and it's fascinating. You'll never look at your iPhone or your Android device ever again. Um, but I prefer to title my book to, to use that or tell me the world started. And you know, to me, that's the world of work I see, you know, the pandemic was a reset. I think we're into a new phase. Uh, and like, I mean, it's a fun, like we've gone, we, you know, three of us have been through different changes, right? This is the most fundamental reset I've seen in my professional career, which is maybe only 25 years long, right? Um, or my working career, which is 30 something years long. Um, and I, but I just do believe this is one of the biggest resets that we'll see uh, in our lifetimes.
and it's going to just continue to filter into different effects for decades to come and it excites me i love that so so who johnny who do you give the first signed copy of that book to and not us <laughs> well, my mother of course there you go uh i love these answers that's great, that's great. and i love uh, i do love the title because it reflects if you will uh that when we look at look at the future that we want to be in we should be working hard to create the kind of world that we would like to have for ourselves so i think it's cool. be, be the change you want to be something something yeah. along those lines yeah Johnny, thank you so much. We know you're super busy. We love uh, when you get a chance to jump on here. I'm going to do my best not not to lose this particular podcast. Uh, but before we manage to get that up there, I do full ownership of that. We had one expire. So this is the pleasure of a second of a rerun. Even better. Even better, Chris. And listen, thank you both. I'm looking forward to seeing you both in uh, North Carolina uh, pretty soon. Yeah, very, very much looking forward to that. So hang out. Don't go anywhere yet. We're going to put you in there. Much gratitude. Appreciate you being on. Uh, Jerry, really quickly, we've got a new button on here. So I, what we didn't call out, so the, the history of recruiting uh, was done in large part by CXR Foundation. So not just all the contributors, but also there is a nonprofit uh, that we have founded uh, that does a lot of that work behind that program. Uh, I think recruiters, recruiting recruiters. Well, actually, we had we had our live in-person uh, community and charity activity that was sort of the impetus for the CXR Foundation, but then also I think recruiters, recruiting recruiters, when we did that years ago, sure. sort of got it online, like picked it up and moved it. And this is one of those efforts. It, also. It's certainly not, not an easy task to take that content and find a way to put it on a platform so that people can engage with it and that we can change it in an easy way. Yep. And, um, you know, to have, uh, to have CXR's foundation be able to, invest in being able to do that because we basically told every one of the contributing recruit uh, contributing authors the content's yours in effect you're an author mm -hmm. so take that content put it wherever you want the problem with it is it resides then in a pdf file that you can't do much with so <clears throat> so yeah this is this hopefully will uh help us move it in a variety of different ways so let's see. Let's see if we, we've got a new button. Oh, there it goes. It's in the top, I guess. Uh, so you can scan that. We've even got this fancy button. Look at that. So uh, if you're watching us, there's a QR code there. The, the CXR Foundation has a number of committees. So you can participate in that if you're interested in volunteering, not just for the history of, uh, but we've got several things that are going on. We've got a mentor program that's getting ready to launch. I'm super excited about that. That's been like nine months. We've been cooking that. Uh, so we're pretty stoked about that and a number of other things. But if you're interested in donating, uh, you can do that. You can scan this. You can go to cxr.foundation uh, slash donate. It is a nonprofit. Uh, or you can scan the QR code. Uh, and then, of course, any any aspect on the site is a whole bunch of request information and contact us links that the team have put up there. I want to encourage anybody that like to just take part, not just in the history of, but any other programs that we have going on, encourage you to lean in. It's It feels good. It's feel good work, I think. Yes. Yeah, it's real good work. All right. With that, we're going to take everybody out. We'll see everybody next week. Say goodbye, Jerry. Goodbye.
Thanks for listening to the CXR channel. Please subscribe to CXR on your favorite podcast resource and leave us a review while you're at it. Learn more about CXR at our website, cxr.works, facebook.com and twitter.com slash career crossroads and on Instagram at career X roads. We'll catch you next time. Come on.